There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Medieval Beginnings. I'm Mary Wellesley, a contributor to the London Review of Books, and I'm joined, as ever, by Irina Dumitrescu, also a contributor to the paper who teaches medieval literature at the University of Bonn. Hello, Irina. Hi, Mary. In our last episode, we read Old English poems written in women's voices alongside Latin letters by religious women who were active in the 8th century. The poems are enigmatic, riddle-like texts whose authorship and purpose are often hard to uncover. In today's episode, we're on firmer ground, with a text written by a famous author about a famous figure. It's a saint's life, written by the most well-known English writer of the early medieval period, the so-called Venerable Bede. The saint in question is Cuthbert, a monk, hermit, bishop and eventually saint, who was the subject of several early medieval lives but the most widely known of these is the one by Bede. Bede's life is a story of a charismatic man torn between the duties of divine office and the joys of the contemplative life, between community and solitude. His story offers us a window into the daily life and religious politics of early medieval Northumbria and lets us see Bede, a famous monk scholar in his own right, at work. We'd just like to say at the beginning of the episode Listeners who dislike cute stories about animals may find parts of this episode distressing. <laughs> okay, Irina, let's let's jump right in. Can you just tell us a bit about Cuthbert's life? Who was Cuthbert? When did he live? What was he like? So Cuthbert was born sometime around 634 in Northumbria. This is an early medieval English kingdom that spans parts of what's now northern England and southeast Scotland. He entered the monastic life in his youth, first at Melrose, which is now called Old Melrose. Then he transferred to Ripon and then wound up being the prior of Lindisfarne, uh, which is a monastery on a tidal islet. As many of you will know, it's separated by the tide at certain parts of day and is accessible on, on foot at other times of day. At Lindisfarne, he began his movement towards a life of solitude, and prayer. First, he took up in on St. Cuthbert's Island, which is like Lindisfarne, uh, accessible during low tide. Uh, and then he moved to Inner Farn, uh, a secluded island completely separated by the sea, where he built a dwelling for himself. In 685, he became a bishop, which he very much did not want to become. Uh, that was about two years before his death. Um, he seems to have predicted his death, and he wound up going back to his island uh, on the Inner Farn and dying there in 687. He was buried at Lindisfarne, and after the island fell to the attacks of Northmen, sometimes called Vikings, the monks took his relics with them and they traveled around for two centuries, eventually settling in Durham, where he's now entombed, along with his biographer, the Venerable Bede. So it's quite nice. One can, one can see them both in the same place. 
And what's really unusual for an early medieval life is that we have several texts describing it, but also a number of physical artifacts relating to it. So we have quite a lot to do with Cuthbert. Yeah, and I think um, that's it's lovely what you were saying about Lindisfarne. You know, what we have to imagine is this little cluster of islands off the Northumbrian coast that are sometimes accessible when the tide is out and sometimes aren't. And And to some degree, a lot of the sort of tension of this text is about you know, John Donne's famous uh, adage, no man is an island. But, you know, to some degree, Cuthbert is this kind of island who is sometimes accessible and sometimes inaccessible. And that's kind of the tension in this text about wanting to live this life of, of prayer and solitude and sometimes wanting and needing to be part of a kind of more of a community. And so I think it's quite nice to sort of imagine that little cluster of islands just off the Northumbrian coast. Um, and it's great what you're saying about the, the physical artifacts because Cuthbert's uh, coffin ends up in um, in Durham and we can talk about the story of how it got there after being buried on Lindisfarne. But when it is opened, the co- coffin is opened in 1104 by the monks um, because they're moving his, his coffin from one place to another when they've built a new um, cathedral in Durham. And they find inside the tomb several artifacts relating to him. So one is this very beautiful gold pectoral cross, which is now the symbol of of Durham, the, the city of Durham today, and a comb, which is rather amazing. You know, the idea of this kind of thing that was because combing was a sort of necessary activity for oral ecclesiastics to, to um, they were required to comb their hair before leading a service. So we have this kind of amazing physical connection to this man who died in 687 and also rather wonderfully a very beautiful manuscript called the St. Cuthbert Gospel, but we can talk about that a bit later. So whereas in the previous episode we were talking about these very enigmatic texts written by anonymous figures, perhaps authored by multiple figures, you know, there was not much to sort of grasp onto. But here we've got a real tangible physical connection to this person in the past, which is very exciting. That's exactly right. And we have it through objects, through the places one can still visit and through the texts. So we're going to be talking today about Bede's Life of Cuthbert, um, which he wrote sometime around 721 in Latin prose. But Bede had already written uh, a version of Cuthbert's life in meter, sometime between 710 and 715. And then he later came back again to Cuthbert when he wrote the ecclesiastical history and did a kind of mini biography of Cuthbert in uh, book four and and book five um, of that history. So Bede is constantly coming back to, to the life of this man. It's clearly a figure of great fascination for him. And we know his source because B tells us that his source is a text that we also have, uh, which we now refer to as the Anonymous Life of St. Cuthbert, which was written by a monk of Lindisfarne sometime between 699 and 705. And that's also an interesting text because it's closer to the saint. It's written by someone who's of the community who would have been had better access to those who knew the saint. It's more local and more specific. And on top of that, Bede also claims to have talked to other sources as well, to have gotten information from people who, who had firsthand knowledge. So it's really this rich web of, of evidence that we have for his life, which, again, we're going to think about critically, but it's amazing to have that much and to be able to compare the texts. And so let's just take a step back here and, and talk a bit about about hagiography, about a saint's life. I mean, what, what is this form? Like, is it, is, it a, is it a biography or what is it really? 
I think the best way to think about hagiography is that it's an argument. Every saint's life is an argument that God's power was manifested through a particular individual and often in a particular place. And today we look for originality in texts and also originality in arguments. When it comes to saints' lives, what's most convincing is lack of originality. The more a saint resembles other saints and the more a saint resembles Christ, for example, the more convincing their life is um, as a testament to their sanctity, to their ability to be a conduit for divine power um, to, to, on earth. Um, and so we see that there, there's a lot of patterning and um, those hagiographers, those who write saints' lives are often really interested in um, not just having their saint copy models that existed before, but really making it explicit, saying this was like Paul, this was like this other, you know, Saint Anthony of the Desert, this is like that, uh, so that the reader understands that the saint is following in the footsteps um, or copying the model of these previous figures. Uh, very often, um, a hagiography will start with the with the saint's child or birth and infancy. There, there's often going to be something special about them. We'll discuss how they turn to to the religious life, if they were always in the religious life or how they got there. There'll be a series of miracles that show often during their life that that show their their sanctity and their perfection. Um, and then very typically also after the death of the saint, there will be a series of miracles related to their body, the secondary relics, like the objects that came in contact with their body, the place and so on, or even just the people praying to the saint that will serve as evidence for this person's special relationship to God. And, you know, the other thing we have to think about these texts is they're very institutional texts a lot of the time, right? They're often commissioned by monasteries, as is clear happened in the case of uh, both major prose lives of Cuthbert. Often it's to promote the cult of a saint at a particular place, to strengthen that institution's standing or independence, or to set it up as a site for pilgrimage to attract people to come there in order to be healed. Thanks for listening to this extract from Medieval Beginnings, a close reading series from the London Review of Books. To listen to the full episodes and all our other close reading series, sign up to our close reading subscription. Go to lrb.me forward slash close readings or click on the link in the description. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.